move on to the next one to test until the one doesn't pass. Thankfully, I'm not in any pain or much discomfort except for fatigue. They're hoping to prevent me from getting really sick or letting the cancer spread by the use of a live donor, which would be so much quicker. I'll try to keep people informed as I know more. The nurse does not tell me who the candidates are, so I really know nothing much. She did say that I needed to be available at any time for surgery, so that is something to work out with plans that have already been made. So thankful for the show of support and encouragement that I have gotten, and I could not go through this without that. So she just wrote that to me last night. Um, I do know that there have been a few people who have filled out paperwork and said they'd be willing to be donors, which is pretty incredible. At least four, maybe five people that we know of, but they don't share a lot of information about it um, with you for various reasons. But So if you want to keep that in your prayers, that'd be great as well. Um, any other announcements that are not in the bulletin? Remember that a shower is coming up for Alyssa on March 16th. Keep that in your calendars. You can RSVP to her. Just give her a call or shoot her a text. Her number is right there in the bulletin. <laughs> Trustees meeting March 17th. Keep that in mind as well. Um, Kyle Strine and Caitlin Cassidy is going to have a wedding there on March 30th. Um, keep that in your calendars as well. And uh, make sure... You prepare now all the sleep and warmth you can for the Easter sunrise service that we'll be having March 31st. All right, if there's nothing else, let's sing together. Turn your hymn books to number 44, Be Thou Exalted. Hymn number 44. <clears throat> Thou exalted forever and ever, God of eternity, the ancient of days, <clears throat> majesty so mighty in wisdom, perfect in holiness and worthy of praise. Be thou exalted by seraphs and angels be thou exalted with harp and with song saints in their anthems of rapture adore thee thine be the glory forever amen be thou Exalted, O Son of the Highest, Gracious Redeemer, our Savior and King, One with the Father, co-equal in glory, Here at thy footstool our homage we bring. Be thou exalted, by seraphs and angels, be thou exalted with harp and with song. Saints in their anthems of rapture adore thee. Thine be the glory forever. 
us holy within. Feed us each day with thy heavenly manna, healer of wounded hearts, thy praises we sing. How exalted by seraphs and angels, be thou exalted with harp and with song, saints in their anthems of rapture adore thee, thine be the glory forever, amen. Scripture reading is, as you see up there, going to Matthew. My message will be coming, a mixture from, of Matthew and uh, John and maybe even a little Luke thrown in there. We'll see how much I get to. So first we're going to read, uh, Christ coming to Jerusalem as king. We're going to read that first passage, chapter Mark, Matthew chapter 21. One through nine, I swear getting zapped takes all your brain out of you, so we'll see how I do today. Matthew 21, the first nine verses. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and place their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the ground. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! Then we're going to turn back and read Matthew 26, 14 through 32. Matthew 26, 14 through 32. <clears throat> then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparation for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, 
And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We're going to cover some of that and a little bit of other stuff in the process of covering this passage. And in the middle of the message, we'll have communion. Be a little different. Be in the middle of the message. So. Turn your hymn books to 185. Hymn number 185, Jesus Paid It All. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's Lamb. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. A crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And when before the throne stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. 
Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. We'll take a minute to do some prayer requests. If anybody has a prayer or item of praise or an update on something we've been praying for, now's the time to share that so we can pray together. Uh, my dad did have a cardio version. They only had to shock him once, which is too bad. And uh, he's doing <laughs> he's doing great now. So that's a praise for sure. Anything else? All right, let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for being attentive to our needs more than we know our own needs. Thank you for taking care of our families better than we can take care of them. Thank you for your graciousness to us when we sin, your forgiveness. Thank you for encouraging us to repent and encouraging us to come back to you over and over again for mercy and grace, for comfort and compassion. Thank you for your good and loving discipline to us because we are your children. Help us to do the same for one another, to be an encouragement to one another, to be a comfort. Help us to be people who lead others to you. Help us to be people who pray for one another. Help us to be those that know your word and share its truth. Help us to stand firm in the truth. Thank you for your continued uh, sustaining of our bodies and our souls. Um, help us to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. God, we thank you for weddings. And we thank you for funerals that bring your children home. We just thank you for your return, for your coming again, from your rising from the dead, for your death that paid our penalty. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Going to stand and sing our worship songs now, and the first one will be Jesus Messiah. <laughs> Got to wait for the musicians. sin, who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the cross, love so amazing, love so amazing.
from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom he faithfully bore. He canceled my death and he called me his friend. When death was arrested and my life began. displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced, heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life song, I'm going free. Oh 
amazing grace. Your love is my jailbreak. I'm going free. One, two, three, sing. Glory, glory, hallelujah, you seven are dismissed to junior church. The rest of you can sit down. Today we begin a series of messages. Um, there'll be pieces taken out of basically the last week of Christ's life, and especially right before his crucifixion and, and his crucifixion and resurrection. Uh, next week, Tom Scriven will do the second message of the series. He has the passage and, and what it's going to entail. You'll have to come to find out what that is. It will probably follow after what we do today. So that might give you a hint. The one thing you find in these passages as you read is that there is a lot of other stuff going on. From the time he enters into uh, Jerusalem, it's nonstop things happening. He's teaching, he's speaking. Uh, there are events that, like we're going to talk about. And most of what I've wrapped the messages around are events. And I want you to kind of get into the picture. As we paint the picture, I want you to imagine yourself being in that picture and what's going on and understanding what it might have been like to be there and what would your response have been. So I said, there's a clear message to the disciples how would you respond if you were one of them? How would you react? Now, we're not going to go as far as the denials because that's not my message. But we're going to do a couple of things. One, I just want to get them into Jerusalem first. Now, all of you know when that took place, and if you look in John chapter 12, you find his entrance into the city. You can find that in every one of the Gospels. Um, as he's presented king, it would be in Matthew 21, in Mark 11, in Luke 19, and in John 12. So if you put them all together, you get a fuller picture. We're not going to be able to do all that if I'm going to get to the main portion of my message. So we just want you to get caught up a little in being a crowd. And you sang a song, uh, I'm going free. And glory, glory, hallelujah. Were you all excited by the time you finished singing that song? 
thinking about what Christ had done for you, that you're free, really free indeed. Does that hit home? Because the Lord would want it to hit home. I know, I'm tired. I slept maybe three hours last night. And I'm feeling the wear and tear, uh, especially after I've had a cardiovert. I don't seem to get quite right for a little while. And I don't know if Helen goes through the same thing or not, but I definitely do. And uh, I think I lose brain cells while I'm there. So I said to Don, this may be the most, um, how did I, what word did I use? Uh, anyway, it won't be well put together probably. But maybe it will be. The Lord's in control, and I'm hoping that he'll straighten me out as I go. But we wanted to get into this. I just want to get into the picture of Christ is getting set up to come into the, into the city. And I wanted to, uh, wanted to read Matthew 21 a little bit. wanted you to get the picture of how much Christ has to do with all this. In, uh, in our reading, he says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus took, sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything, you say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. And then it says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Anybody have, other than the pastor, know what prophet it is? Yeah, I know he'd know right away, so I'm not going to ask him. Do you know what prophet said? Say to the daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zachariah. Yes, it's from Zechariah. Uh, chapter 9, verse 9. And so there... As we go through these, you will see some of these things that are said are quotes from the Old Testament. Their passage is already prophesying what would be said and how it would happen. And so here, uh, Christ says, look, I've got this all set up. You just need to go and ask and get these donkey and the colt and you bring them to me. And if anybody says anything, Lord, Lord sent you. Lord sent you and he'll just tell you to go. Um, that's pretty remarkable. And that's the beginning of what happens. So what they do is, uh, here it says uh, in chapter 12, verse 12, the next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Now he was on his way riding on the colt of the donkey. And they had placed a cloak over it. You could see that in Matthew and Luke. And... He's riding on the colt of a donkey coming into town, which is the presentation of a king. And so he's being presented as a king, the Messiah they've been looking for. And they're expecting that this is what he'll be. So this great crowd who's there for the festival, uh, the festival of unleavened bread, the Passover, they all come to Jerusalem. They're getting ready for this and they go out and meet him. And they took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna! What's Hosanna mean? You could go back to the passage it comes from in Psalm 118 
And, and it would basically say, Lord, save us. The term just means save. But since it's a quote from Psalm 118, there it says, Lord, save us. Lord, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. Now, if you're part of that crowd, you are just as excited as the rest of them are. And you're rushing out there to throw palm branches down or cloaks or whatever you can on his path so that he can enter in as a king would enter with the crowds around him, lots of excitement, and he enters in. Now, the disciples' reaction is at first, his disciples did not understand all this. Now, you would have never caught that idea from any of the other statements he made, would you? He says plainly to them many times um, that he's going he's gonna to die going to be crucified. He's going to be lifted up. We'll go over a couple of those passages. But the bottom line is, he's giving them clear messages. And in this one, he gives them a clear message. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now, what's interesting is, as I speak to you, you have these passages already. You're reading the quotes right in the New Testament. You understand that what was happening back then, they would have had to understand from the Old Testament. They wouldn't have had the New Testament to help them out yet. That still had to be written. So they didn't understand. They didn't catch it, and it wasn't until later that it hit them. Oh, those statements were made about him. He was the one coming in. He was the one mentioned in Zechariah. He was the one that the crowds in Psalm 118 were talking about. And here, it gives it to us plainly. So, to us, it would seem like a clear message to the disciples. They should have got this. And they didn't quite get it. In fact, now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. I wanted to read at least that far, and I'm going to read a little further some more. But I wanted to catch the reaction of the Pharisees. They've been trying to push this down so that nothing will happen. Christ has been a powerhouse, and they haven't been able to slow him down. And here, the people are for him. And of course, you know, if you're the Pharisees and the whole crowd is for somebody, are you going to speak up and say anything? Probably not, because you're afraid of the crowd. And so here, he's got the whole crowd with them, and their response is kind of dejected and frustrated. 
Look how the whole world has gone after him. We're not getting anywhere here. So a little while later in Psalm 20, in verse 23, it says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he talks about how if a kernel's going to grow, it has to die first. <clears throat> anyone who loves their life will lose it. Uh, well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternity. And he talks about serving him. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then the voice from heaven who says, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Now, I wanted you to get into Jerusalem to understand all these things that are going on. After this happens, it quiets down. But Christ spends a lot of time teaching. And if I was going for events, I have to skip over some of the teaching because they aren't major events. This was a major event. This was the presentation of the king. And the Pharisees were rejecting it. And eventually, so would the rest of the people reject it. Would cry out to have him crucified. So what starts out looking wonderful, you would be caught up in, presents the king, and the king is rejected, as it was predicted to happen, as the Old Testament teaches, that the Son of Man had to die. So Christ begins talking more and more about his death. In fact, in verse 32, it says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up and said, We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And then he talks about the fact they'll only have the light with him for a little longer. And then he's talking about himself. And uh, he's going to be gone. Now, the disciples aren't getting this, even though it's clearly stated many times to the point where he's just outright tells them it's going to happen. And they, they seem to just, you know, it's kind of like sometimes when you and I talk together, I'll say something and the uh, person I'm talking to just like moves on. And misses totally everything I said. I know because if I had heard it, I would have reacted to it. And they apparently didn't hear it. And so what happened? You never had that happen, have you? You said something you thought should have made an impression and that person just totally missed it. Just went on into conversation and missed totally everything you said. And Christ does that to them. He'll say... The Son of Man has to die, and, they'll, and they don't say anything about it. They just move on and have discussions about other things. And we'll see that a little bit in the next event. The next major event that comes up is when the Passover is to take place, and the Lord sets up them getting together for the Passover. Now in John, he doesn't, cover everything that Matthew does 
but he covers a portion of it. And he starts out in verse 13, in chapter 13, verse 1, it says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. Now that's, I'm going to stop there for a minute because I'll get ahead of myself if I don't. And what I want to do now is move back to Matthew in verse in chapter 26. Uh, in 26, uh, 17 it starts, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So the first thing that comes up in this is need to prepare for the Passover. And they want to know where this is going to take place. He replies, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. Um, what do you remember about what takes place for the Passover? You remember anything? You remember what the Passover is? Passover is the event where uh, the Lord makes uh, takes care of his people by giving them a way to avoid the plague that's going to come into Egypt. And the plague is that all the firstborn of everything will be killed unless the lamb is, is killed, the blood is used to paint on the door frame, and then the Lord or the angel will pass over them. And there'll be no no firstborn that die. Now, think about that. In order to take care of the firstborn, they all had to be in that house. So it could have been pretty crowded. But before that could take place, they had to do one other thing. They had to have a meal. And the meal was that they had to roast the lamb they couldn't boil it. They couldn't prepare it any other way. You couldn't microwave it. You should have laughed at that because there were no microwaves back then. But they couldn't do anything else with it. They had to roast it and prepare it. And then they had to eat all of it. If they didn't eat it all, they had to burn it up. So it was all gone. Now, if you remember one other thing, they had to do that back in Exodus with their clothes on and ready to go. So that as soon as Pharaoh relented and said go, they could get going. And Pharaoh does relent and they do go, but they were all dressed ready. They eat the Passover and it's the Lord's provision for them to be freed from Egypt. Now, the Passover lamb back then saved the people of Israel and the nation of Israel. The Passover lamb we're used to talking about is Jesus. And here he is at the feast, 
getting ready to have this with his disciples, this Passover feast. And he's preparing by wanting them to know that he is the lamb. He wants them to catch what's going on and understand. So the Last Supper, as we call it, is all about him preparing his disciples to know that he is going to be the lamb who sheds his blood, whose flesh is broken for our sin. He's the one. So here he says, uh, gets them directed, they get the evening meal ready, and now I want to set the place. If all of you were there, we'd have to have a really big table. But put yourself in a group of about a dozen back then, and you have to understand that you would be sitting at a table that was low, that was like our coffee tables, only longer. And they sat around that, leaning back on pillows, and so their feet were this way, if this was the table, their feet were this way, and their backs were sort of 45 degree angle this way, and they sat around the table that way. There would have been a dozen men there, in this case. And so when you start to hear about the conversation, it makes more sense than it does if you think in our terms of sitting at a big table with chairs and the whole bit. It wouldn't take place exactly the same way. In fact, this could even be more intimate. Some of us might be uncomfortable. So as, as you read through it and you think on it, I want you to put yourself in this picture. So it says, When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And when they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus said, You have said so. Now, I'm going to move again for temporarily to John because I want you to see some more of the action that takes place. See, we only get part of the action in each one. And if we want to get the whole thing, we've got to move around just a little bit. So here in John verse chapter eight, yeah, 13, verse 18, he says, uh, now that, uh, let me back up just a little bit. He had been washing their feet. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. 
I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you, that's from Psalm 41.9, by the way, I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who has sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and asked him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked, Lord, who is it? Now, I want you to catch that. The way they sat, if you were to talk to the person behind you, you'd have to lean back and talk to him. And when I said you might be uncomfortable with that, he leaned against his chest to talk to him. Now, the one whom Jesus loved, or at least who, who referred to himself at that, with that statement, was John. John was laying there, and Peter was asking him to ask Christ who this would be. So, he knows there's going to be a betrayer, and it, frust- it is painful to him that he, this one will betray him. Jesus answers, It is the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. The rest of the passage says no one at the table understood. No one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Some thought because he had charge of the money, he was sending him out to buy some other things that were needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Jesus had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. So Judas now leaves the setting. And in that setting, you've had an intimate account of what it would be like to be there. So if this is somebody you've traveled with for three and a half years, How would you react to this? You've been told there would be one that betrayed. All of you are concerned who it might be. You're not talking about me, are you? And then he plainly tells them by telling them the one he gives this sop to would be the one. And they still don't quite get it. In fact, they didn't understand why Jesus said what he said, what uh, what you're about to do, do it quickly. He didn't understand. They didn't quite get it. Okay? I, I want you to see their reaction, but I want you to think about what would your reaction have been if it had been you? Would you have understood? Would you would you have grabbed a hold of it? You can say, well, yeah, but I got a lot more scriptures. I understand. Yeah, and and if you know the Lord, you have the Holy Spirit, so it even helps you more. They were going to have to wait for the Holy Spirit still 
and things would suddenly come to mind and they would begin to understand. But here, they're being prepared for what will come so that they have the knowledge they need to have. And that's what he's doing. He's getting them ready. He's giving them the message. Even as he quotes different passages, they become aware of those passages after he dies and is resurrected and the Spirit comes. All those passages make sense. Suddenly they understand. But here they still don't quite understand. And so at this point, uh, Judas has left and he's about to institute at this Passover feast a discussion about the blood, his blood, and his flesh. And so at this point in the message, we're going to have the the deacons come and we're going to have communion in the middle of my message because it fits my message. Okay? So if the deacons will come up, we'll have communion now. So at that point, they've gotten over that, past that one uh, thing that Judas had left. And so while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take eat, this is my body. We're going to do that at this time. This wouldn't have happened quite the way we're doing it now obviously, because they were around the table and it would have been passed around in the table and they would have all gotten their bread and eaten it.
Christ name. At this point, gives thanks. Dear Father, we're thankful for your love for us. We're thankful for those you've given us as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're thankful for the way you've worked in our life. That your son would, would die on a cross and shed his blood for us. We're grateful for this opportunity to share together and take of this bread to show that your body was broken for our sin, for us. And we thank you for that and are grateful for the love that would allow you to do that. Thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Take and eat. And he took the cup and add up to his. Not like we're doing it. He would have passed the cup round probably. But in this case, we won't do that. Gracious Father, thank you for this symbol, this reminder of the blood you shed for us. And you might not just cover our sin, but remove it. Cleanse us white as snow. That you would make us able to stand in the very presence of God. We thank you for that. As we think about what you had to do to do that, 
In some ways it frustrates us that we were sinners that caused that. And yet, Father, we're so grateful that you loved us enough to shed your blood and die for us. Thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you all. So I wanted you to be part of the story. Do you feel part of the story now? That's about when it would have happened. Judas had left the scene, and the rest of the disciples partook of this, that as Christ is teaching them, he reminds them this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Then he reminds us, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom. I'm not going to read that next verse yet. We'll do that in a second. But he's reminding them, he's already talking about the fact that the next time he does this will be in his Father's kingdom. If they're catching on to all this, they begin to realize he's not going to be here. He's not going to be with them for a while. He's going to leave the scene. And they aren't quite catching all of this yet. In fact, in John, chapter 13, after After the meal and after Judas has left, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told you, the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. And he gives a new command, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I'm not going any further than that, um, but in Luke chapter 22, you see a lot of other things happen right at the end. And Christ makes those statements, and then in uh, Luke 22, at the, uh, in verse 23, it says, They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. And then a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to considered to be greatest. So even with this meal, even with this teaching, the disciples are still struggling with who the greatest is in, in the kingdom? Who, which of them is greater? They're still having discussions that seemingly they don't quite understand everything that's going on. You have an advantage. You get to see the message, hear the message, and know what was going on. You get to know the connections to Christ actually dying on the cross. 
and the fact that he won and rose from the dead. You get to know all of that, and you know ahead. But if you were them in that setting, you would not have understood. And they didn't understand. So they continue to have these other discussions. And that's what I wanted you to catch. How would you react if this was you? What if this had been your time? Now the grace of God intervenes because he makes sure that the Holy Spirit comes so they understand the whole story, that they grasp it. And they become the first great evangelists who spread the gospel of Christ. But they didn't understand when this was over. They even fought over who would be greatest. But when Christ is all done, it says in verse 30 of, of Matthew, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, when they leave and they go to the Mount of Olives, then Judas comes and he's betrayed. This is the beginning of those of that few days. That's the very end of Christ's life. So I wanted to get you to there. You're going to get some more stories. We're not going to get into Christ, the crucifixion and anything until uh, the fourth and fifth Sundays. So there's still a few messages that have to come in between. Tom Scriven will be here next week. He's going to do uh, part of chapter 13 and 14. So if you want to read ahead, you can read some of that and get ready. Now we're going to sing a hymn, and we're going to go out. We're going to sing the name of Jesus, number 94. The name of Jesus is so sweet. I love its music to repeat. It makes my joys full and complete. The precious name of Jesus. Jesus, oh, how sweet the name. Jesus, every day the same. Jesus, let all saints proclaim its worthy praise forever. I love the name of him whose heart knows all my griefs and bears a part, who bids all anxious fears depart. I love the name of Jesus. Jesus, oh, how sweet the name. Jesus, every day the same. Jesus, let all saints proclaim its worthy praise forever. That name I fondly love to hear, it never fails my heart to cheer. Music dries the falling tear, 
exalt the name of Jesus. Jesus, oh, how sweet the name. Jesus, every day the same. Jesus, let all saints proclaim. It's worthy praise forever. No word of man can ever tell how sweet the name I love so well. Oh, let its praises ever swell. Oh, praise the name of Jesus. Jesus, oh, how sweet the name. Jesus, every day the same. Jesus, let all saints proclaim. It's worthy praise forever. When we think about this passage and when we think about what Christ has done for us, we should have a response. It should be an excitement and a desire to praise God and to think about Him. So that was the question, how would you respond? Or maybe I should have said, how will you respond? You're the sons and daughters of the living God. How do you respond to knowing that you are his sons and daughters because he paid the price. Let's pray. Christ, Father, you are an amazing God, that you love us so much that even when we we're yet sinners, you would die for us, that you have drawn us into your family, you have made us your sons and daughters, with all the benefits of being those sons and daughters, that we can come boldly into the throne of grace for help in time of need. Help us, Lord, to, to remember, to regularly think about, to know that you have paid the price and that we're secure in your love Help us to have that kind of response we have when we see somebody we haven't seen for a long time and we're excited to see them because we love them. Help us to think that way about you, to be excited about that relationship. Excited enough that we can't hold ourselves back from even talking about you. Help us to leave thinking on those things, Lord. We'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed. It was perfect. It was a perfect song. Doesn't matter if it's a Christmas song. It was the perfect song.